Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. As I was coming, I got a good one because it was literally what happened to me today. So, um, let me just tell you people. When I was at work, I was waiting for for the office to pay me my money so I can buy fuel to come to church. <laughs> and they refused to pay me. So that's why, so they, they're going to pay late, however. And I left the office in, in a risky time. That's like one hour before service. So. And then I called someone and the guy sent me some money only for GT Bank to give me half the money. I put the remaining half in my um, ledger bank account. And then I went to pay. And when I went to pay for the fuel, I did not have my card with me. Again, as God will have it. You put that know me, know why. Yeah. And I said, no, I have my card with me. I went into the store and asked the lady if she could give me some money um, for a transfer. I'll transfer the money to her and then she'll give me money. So at that time, I was just acting with the assumptions that all I had in my account was a certain amount. was 4,000 naira. Let me just put that. It was 4,000 naira. And... She gave me an account number and I typed in an account <laughs> and I paid 4,000 naira. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is <laughs> I paid to the wrong account. <laughs> As I paid to the wrong account, the guy that sent me money now sends me a text. I says, you know what? Um, since they gave you half of what I give, let me just give you 10,000, right? And the guy sends another 10,000 to me. And as he did it, I was able to send the money completely to the lady. What I find very interesting about that story was that if, <laughs> if GT Bank did not put my money inside ledger, I would have been stranded. I would not be speaking to you today. <laughs> and if the brother had decided to send something less than what he sent, I still would have been fighting um, fuel attendance today. And that leads me to my topic today, the doctrine of providence, journey of providence, rather. Um, when I was preparing for the sermon, I, I picked up one of my favorite uh, writers from, group of writers from history, the Puritans. And from all, what, all of them, someone stood out to me, and it was John Flavon. I wrote a book called The Mystery of Providence. If, I think you should, it's a good read, and I'd... Um, I'd recommend for everyone. And in his book, John Flavo defines providence as the fulfillment and execution of God's eternal decree. Providence is the fulfillment and the execution of God's eternal decree. <clears throat> now, um, I'd like us to open to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11, and I read from the ESV. Yeah, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to what? The counsel of his will. Please, I need to be a bit responsive, so I know if you're getting me, because as we go deeper, I, I hope we'll be able to get it. So I read again. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, according, having been predestined, according to the purpose of him who does what? 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God works all things, not just salvation. Of course, God works salvation to according to the counsel of his will. But we're talking about the all things, right? So God works everything according to the counsel of his will. Now, providence can be historically categorized into two fundamental categories. The first one is general providence. General providence. The second one is particular providence, right? The doctrine of general providence is, I think all Christians, Bible-believing Christians, should believe that. That is that God macro-manages the world. So God acts as a sovereign king. You know how a king rules a land without forcing the people inside to do what he wants them to do, right? That's how God acts. He enacts laws, he stipulates legislations, and he determines how everything is in a macro sense, right? In the sense of um, kingly leadership. However, the God of the Bible is not just involved with us in terms of general providence, but is involved with us particularly. And that leads me to second categorization, particular providence. Right? God not only micromanages the world, he micromanages the world. Now, the word micromanage manage there might tick a few years, especially us here in this part of the world, as we live very Wesleyan, right? Um, in terms of micromanagement, I don't want you guys to see it as one, one guy, big guy like me, carrying a hammer, saying, go to church, don't go to church, and stuff like that, right? You want to see it as God. Most like uh, the way a piano player plays and then everything, the notes just seem to synergize into one beautiful harmony, right? And each note is independent, right? Um, that's the way God particularly ordains all things to happen. General providence refers to God's universal control over the universe, a monarch who reigns supreme over all things within his domain. Let's look at John chapter 17, verse 2. John 17, verse 2. All right. Um, let's start from verse 1, just to be so we get where we're coming from. Verse 1 it says, When Jesus has spoken these words, I'm reading from ESV, he lifted his eyes to the heavens and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 2 Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The point here is that. God has given the Son authority over what? All flesh. So God, so in this is almost like general providence, right? Everybody is under um, Jesus' rule. First Corinthians 15, verse 27. Verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So, God put everything under Christ, right? So all of us are under the reign and rule of Christ. Amen? Good. Um, now, let's get to the uh, serious part. Particular providence. This refers to God's particular and efficacious working in reality to bring out his purposes and intentions, right? Uh, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, rather, sorry, verse 10. It says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we, are, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of what? All people, but especially what? Of those who 
believe. So you see general and specific providence there. God is everyone's savior, but more specifically, he's the savior of those who what? Believe, right? That's particular providence. Um, if you need more clarification on this issue, I refer you to Pastor Shea's Magnum Opus, preached there, uh, when was it preached? Three weeks ago, Abby? Yes. Uh, I think that will give you more clarity on that issue. Um, let's read Psalm 139 from 13 to 16. Don't worry, I promise I'm going somewhere. Uh, Psalm 139 from verse uh, 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately, sorry, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, and when as yet there was none of them. So you see here that God particularly, particularly intricately wove you into reality. According to the psalmist, right? He didn't just weave you and your facial features. He wove your inner, how your inner is going to look like. Right? That's what the psalmist tells us. Now, um, that the implication of this is, of course, we have a lot of implications, but um, I'll just jump to the next point so that I can cover everything so that we can have time for Q&A. So in history, we've had various um, eras and people who have tried to expound on the doctrine of providence, right? So, I mean, um, the Hellenistic scholars like um, Aristotle of, uh, I think he's the clearest case we have for cause and effect, right? So Aristotle um, believed in four types of causes, material cause, formal cause, efficient cause, and final cause. Now, follow me closely. I think you should write it down. Material cause, one, Material cause, one. Two, formal cause. Three, efficient cause. Four, final cause. Are you following? So these were the um, four classes of causation. The third one is efficient, efficient cause. Please, you are free to stop me at any time. I say, please go back. I don't understand. So that I don't speak over your head. Um, so Aristotle right, establish four types of causes, material cause, formal cause, efficient cause, cause rather, and final cause. You might ask, what does causing have to do, causation have to do with providence? If we're saying that God ordains all things to be, that means every effect you see is linked to God as a cause, right? A cause must have what? An effect. Are you following? A cause must have what? An effect. And then Aristotle, right, expands on the, doct on, on the concept of causes and establishes four causes. He says there's material cause, formal cause, efficient cause, and final cause. Material cause refers to composition. So why, if you say, why is Samuel here? Somebody can give an answer and say, it's because his cells are stuck together, right? And then they form to make organs, and organs form to make systems, and yada, yada, yada. The biological answer, right? And that's correct, right? Why is the stand here? Because metal, or the chemical, blah, 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 coagulated, and then this is metal. I'm not a chemist, right? Formal cause refers to ontology, essence and being, right? The being of a person, you, know, you get that. And then efficient cause refers to motion and sequence, right? 
Why am I here? Because I walked here. Why did I walk here? Because I have legs. <laughs> Just my point. So, like, so there's a final cause refers to purpose, right? Why am I here? The real existential question, right? And that's what Aristotle held. But unfortunately, Aristotle denied that a god. He actually, funny enough, I think out of all the Greek scholars, I think Aristotle is the only monotheistic one. Around Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and the likes. He was monotheistic, but he believed that God was, far, was so far from creation that he was intricately unattended to it, like he didn't care about it. So you couldn't, so his effect has nothing to do with the cause. Because logically speaking, think about it. An effect cannot be more powerful than something that caused it. Do you get my point? So I, <laughs> I caused, I, I mean, there's a popular one. If, you're, if your mom is changing it for you, she'll be like, I'm the one that gave birth to you. Right? Of course, that's a, it's an actually logical idea. I, me that brought you cannot come and be changing it for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm your mate. I'm not your mate. Right? So, um, Aristotle did that, and that was his issue. For the other scholars, some of them just were deterministic, right? Like the Epicureans. They just believed that everything was material, right? And then every material thing, you are just wired to. And that's why most atheists today are very. A lot of atheists, let me say most of them, are very deterministic. You, are, you love because there are neurons in your brain wiring you to like a certain person. Do you get my point? So everything is just material. And um, we had um, <clears throat> all of that. And I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of um, philosophy. I'm just trying to give you the highlights. Um, for Jewish thought, in ancient Jewish thought, um, the term providence is actually never mentioned in the Old Testament explicitly. Explicitly, However, it appears in the Septuagint, right? And if you read the Old Testament, you don't need anybody to tell you that there's a doctrine of providence there. It's just that the word is not explicated um, expli uh, explicitly, right? And um, I think this is where I want to focus on because this is um, a core part of what we'll be discussing today. The Jews, I think Pastor has talked about first cause and second causes, right? That is, um, what do you call it again? Ultimate cause and proximal cause. The ultimate cause of all things is God, right? And the proximal cause of everything is the nearest thing that caused that thing to be. Am I, am I, am I, have I lost anybody? Hopefully not. Okay. Let me put my phone out so in case somebody somebody is complaining, I will see it. Okay, so, <clears throat> uh, where was I? Jewish thought. In ancient Jewish thought, what we see is that providence, right? In fact, if you read the Old Testament, the efficient cause or the proximal cause and the ultimate cause, they don't bother to differentiate it. Like in Isaiah, they say, the Lord gave the prophets a line, line spirit. Anything you want to do with the statement, go and do do you understand my point? Or an evil spirit proceeded from the Lord and came upon Saul. Do you understand my point? It's all that, ah, bro, can you just say that? If you put it on Twitter, something like, something like um, he didn't word it well. Right? <laughs> but that's how the Jews wrote, right? And we call it Hebraism, right? They joined efficient cause with ultimate cause. But how is the Christian supposed to look at providence? Right? What's the Christian doctrine? 
of providence. The first thing we want to establish is that our God does not make mistakes. You want to write that down. Our God does not make mistakes. Number two, our God is not reactive. There is something in divine ontology that is referred to as the impassibility of God. That means that God is incapable of feeling pain. For you to be able to feel pain, you have to be able to react. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? For you to be able to feel pain, pain is a reaction. It doesn't, just, it's not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Right? So for God to be impossible, 100%, he has to what? Be incapable of reacting. So God does not necessarily just react. Right? Which is one of the problems I have with this narrative um, nowadays where people are saying um, um, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for good. Right? Just means that, oh, like Superman, you're about to throw you off the cliff and then as you're falling down, you just see one guy just come and swoop you. Foo! Right? And stuff like that. And it looks very, very dramatic and then you're like, God, thank you so much. But God is much bigger than that. So that if you're falling down a cliff, right? The cliff is doing what it's supposed to do. The air, gravity is doing what it's supposed to do. As you're falling, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and the Superman, the Superman that comes to save you, is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Just my point. So we're talking about somebody who is the monarch of the universe, right? Um, we might want to... <clears throat> okay, sorry. Let me just establish the third point and we read scriptures. The third point is God is unlike the God of Aristotle, right? Right, God of Aristotle. And I think Aquinas even noted Aristotle's issue in... Uh, in um, his commentary on sentences, right? He noted the issue. I'm just going to read it out to you so that I don't, I'm not whining. You can actually check it. His commentary on sentences. Um, where is it? Yes. Aristotle held to one God whose life is contemplative thought, right? With which the exercise of providence over individual things will be incompatible. That means that God does not care about his species. He just cares about the things that he cares about. You get my point? So, the Christian God is not that. The Christian God cares about every one of his creations. In the words of, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, right, the dust motes in the air that float, right, they don't float randomly. Just my point. So, that's not the Christian God. And to even establish that point, we'll go to point three about who the Christian God is, which is that the Christian God is omnipotent. Right? What that means is that God can swoop in and does swoop in to change right, the dispositions of people. Are you following? God swoops in to change. He's capable of swooping in one. Two, he swoops in to change the disposition of people, right, in reality. What does that mean? It means that for, um, for a Christian to believe in Yahweh, you have to believe that he's able to change the disposition of every situation, right? And that's why we believe in miracles today. That is that if something is looking very bad, there's nothing, there's nothing beyond God's change, right? There's nothing that God cannot change. What God cannot do, does not exist, right? In the, and I mean that word, I mean that phrase. What God is, cannot do does not what exist. 
in our reality, there's nothing God cannot do. Right? God can change um, things that look bad, dire, and inconsequential into things of, of remote value. Right? And one text I want us to look at is Genesis chapter 31. And I'd, I'd um, go through with that in the text. Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. So, um, let me just read from, from verse 17. The, the pretext is that Laban had scammed Joseph. He has scammed him 40 years camp, Raxtelli. Right? Um, and now he was maltreating Joseph because the Lord had blessed Joseph more than he blessed Laban. Right? And in verse 17, it says, So Jacob arose and sent his sons, and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away and gave and all his livestock. Um, so he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padam Aram, right? To go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. In verse 19, Laban had gone to share his sheep, and Rachel, Rachel stole her father's gods. Verse 20, and Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by telling him that he intended to, f- to flee. Verse 21, he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill of Gilead. Verse 22, when it was told, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill of country Gilead. Sorry, into the hill country of Gilead. Verse 24, and this is where I'm focusing on. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, <laughs> be careful not to say anything to Job, either good or bad. <laughs> Verse 25, Laban pursued Overtook, but did not conquer. <laughs> Laban overtook Job. Now Job had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Right? And all that and all that. Um, Let's go to verse 29. It says, it is in my power to what? Do you harm? But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So this was a man. First of all, for you, I think in John Flavio's book, something very interesting I saw was that for, uh, for somebody who is wicked to ex- execute his purposes, right? He has to have the opportunity and the ability to do such. He also has to have the intention to do that. So you have intention, you have opportunity, you have ability, and yet he couldn't do such. Why? Because God prevented him from doing so. What is the whole point of this? The whole point is that God does intervene in his creation. Right? He does. And if Laban did not tell Jacob, he probably wouldn't ever know that the Lord right, intervened in his um, salvation that day. Another case I would like to look at, I won't open the scripture, is the case of Abimelech, right? Where Abimelech uh, is about to touch, um, to take Sarah as his wife innocently because Abraham lied. 
right? And the Lord visits Abimelech in the night, and then Abimelech says, Lord, I, I'm innocent. I didn't touch her. And the Lord says to him that you are only innocent because I, I, didn't, I, I did not allow you to touch her. Just at that point. So God intervenes in creation. Another example in Numbers. Numbers chapter 22, verse 25 to 38. You can read that. That's Balaam. Balaam woke up in the morning and said he wants to place curses. Right? He ran to uh, the children of Israel. In fact, the Lord warns him first. And then he goes back. <laughs> and then they flashed more money in his eyes. And then Agidi, he went. The Lord <laughs> opened the mouth of a donkey. So the donkey can tell him that, bros, there's a reason why I'm not going. In my years of serving you, I've never behaved like this. Why are you beating me? And then the Lord opens his eyes and then he saw the angel, right? And all that. So God is involved in humanity. We are not like these who believe that God is far from us, right? And then we are just doing what we like and everything. Very good. Now, what does that mean? That means that providence itself is the effectual right, tailoring of reality by a sovereign and supreme God. Providence is the... How do I put it? It sounds, sounds so brilliant. For my head, it's not for my notes. Eh? Uh-huh. It's the effectual tailoring of reality by a sovereign and supreme God. Right? That means that God weaves his purposes into creation. Right? And this will lead me to the next obvious problem, which is the problem of evil. Which is that if God weaves things into creation, his purpose into creation, where do we place evil? First of all, I will tell you the clear answer to that. The first answer to that is I don't know. Right? The <laughs> I'm telling you, you can search for many years. Who know? I don't know. But a kind of solace we have is that, first of all, the Bible says that the Lord does not change. And there's no shadow or turning with him, right? And God is all good. Right? He's so good that good goodness is his being. Like Akawanas will put it. Right? So we know for a fact that evil does not proceed from the Lord. So the question is. Can God ordain something that does not proceed from him? Again, I don't know. But I did a post on, on it some days back, I think a week ago, on the relationship between a light and a shadow, right? For you to have a shadow cast on the surface, there has to be light. And it has to be what? An obstacle. So it's safe to say that if there's no light and the obstacle is standing, you have no shadow. And if you have light and you have no obstacle, what happens? You have no shadow. And in a sense, can we say that the obstacle causes light, causes the shadow? Can we say that? Logically speaking, if we say that for light, for, for a shadow to exist, right, there has to be light, sorry, there has to be a, an obstacle between light and the surface behind, right? Can we say that logically that is the shadow that is this? That, can we also say logically that is the light that caused the shadow? But without the obstacle, light will shine. Just my point. And without light, obstacle cannot show shadow. In that, I know it's not perfect. And I know that a lot of people can find um, a lot of errors with it. But 
the point I'm trying to make is that that's the relationship, kind of the relationship between God and evil, right? Where God is light shining on all things, and us being as we are, created imperfect, right? Cast shadows across in such a way that God caused the shadows to be, but is not the direct, right? Worker of the shadow, and that's the issue with evil as well, right? The Lord works all things according to the counsel of sovereign will, but evil itself, right, is a byproduct of that we are, which he has caused to be. Can we agree on that? Okay. Now, this is actually the crux of my sermon. Um, in this church, we've talked about providence, we've talked about election, we've talked about God's sovereign call, we've talked about God's choosing, right? Pastor has done a good exposition on um, determination and what, how God determines even our salvation to be, right? And this is in a time where the country is in turmoil, in Bala Blue turmoil, right? We, <laughs> I bought Fue at, <laughs> hey, I bought Fue at almost, how much was it for me? What used to fill my tank now before cannot give me half tank. And I've never been this broke in my life. <laughs> right? And that is the kind of country we are living in right now. And the point of, of all that is that we're, we're in a place of deep suffering and anguish. And there's a tendency for you, because you are learning the doctrine of providence, the doctrines of grace, God's sovereign election, God's calling, and all that. And the next thing in your mind is to say, there's a, a tendency we have to say, oh, since we cannot, we can only know the will of God looking backwards. Abi, we just coast through life. Right? And then we just live as we want to live. Right? There's also a subtle temptation to be very aloof. Right? By aloofness, I mean you just say, eh, whatever, the sovereign, whatever the sovereign Lord wills, I take it. So, you're not murmuring. Eh? You're not ungrateful. But you don't care. Are, are you following? You're not murmuring. You're not ungrateful. But you don't care. But here's the thing. One of the things we note about in classical theology, right, one of the things we note about God's um, nature is that God exists by necessity. Us, we exist by option. Do you understand my point? So what that means is that God does not need you to exist He is God all by himself. It's not, it's not because you exist that he's not God the Father. You know, there's a way you think about that. Ah, it's because of me that God the Father exists and then he's a father to me. Without me, he will not be a father. He will just be barren. And a lie. God exists complete and total. He has been a father long in existence, doting his love on Christ. Right? And the son has been a son long in existence, receiving the what? The love of the Father. Right? And the Spirit has been effecting, effecting his communion between the Godhead right? as the Spirit. So they have all existed in perfect trinity for all of eternity. You came because he loved you. What does that mean? It means that the doctrine of providence right, exists because you exist. Do you understand my point? If only God existed in this world, he doesn't need to providence, providence anything. That was the providence. It's just the way they. He's God. He's enjoying himself. 
But because God wants to work everything for the good of the believer and for the ones who, are, who have set their affection upon God, right? That doctrine exists. What does that mean? It means that when God is working all things for the counsel of his will, he's working it to the end that we are better. That The practical theological implication of that thing is that we are grateful for all that we have. And actually, that's why, dramatically, I decided to come at this point to give you my subtitle, which is gratitude, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Providence is not for you to be proud. Providence is not for you to argue on Twitter with people who are Pelagians. Providence is not for you to show that your theology is not the best. I have not listened to a superior theology. Anybody that does not answer me, you are just a baby. Babe in Christ. Right? And things like that. Providence is for you to get on your knees and say, Lord, thank you. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you look at what God has done for you through the ages, and it's not just, see, the miracle of salvation is the most important thing we have in our lives, and we are grateful for that, and we should worship God for that. But there's a way you can do that, that you not neglect the things that God has given you in your life. So, and it's what happens with most of our Christian families today, where a pastor is serving the Lord faithfully in quotes, and then he neglects his family that the Lord has given him. He neglects his children, and his children grow up bitter because salvation is the most important thing to him. He must work for the salvation of souls. Meanwhile, the salvation of his children and his family in the dustbin. That's not. That's not. You don't, you don't value salvation. In fact, I dare say you might not be saved. Just now I'm saying. It is not when we when we when we when we when we appreciate spiritual truths, right? It's not for us to then latch onto those truths and forget everything else. Everything else. You become a useless person. I say you're following God. There was this brother I heard of in, um, when I was in university and um, this was his third party information. I don't know if it's true, but it was very interesting to hear. The brother was a very fervent guy and he used to pray a lot and all that. And because of our realms and dimensions people, right? He got into this esoteric uh, um, culture of praying. And what he would do is that he would just be tonguing on hours. He would not eat. He would not brush his mouth. He would just be unkept. And he's purchasing, purchasing realms and spiritual dimensions. No, you need a healthcare center. You're not okay. Providence, 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 providence. It's God's, uh, this is where God has placed me. Let me just finish and go. Actually, you don't believe in providence. You, you are... You are, a fault, you are a Simon. You know, the early church never actually believed, they believed that Simon was never saved. So the doctrine of providence is not for you to relax and rest and then just treat the things that the Lord has given you with disdain. Ingratitude comes from a lack of value. You don't value what God has given you. Right? And it shows. I would quote scripture, but I just want to say this. Thankfulness shows in how we treat the things that the Lord has given us. It shows the Lord has given you a local church. You treat it well. How do you treat your local church well? You come early. Respect your elders. Right? You take care of your, um, the, the, the people that the Lord has sent around you. A brother did not come to church. You check up on him. You receive the word of God with gladness and boldness. The pastors give you instructions. You take them and you apply them to your lives. That's how you are thankful. That's a thankful person. Say, Lord, and then we've got to a point where we just use thank you, Lord, as a, as a, 
you know the way we used to use it is well. Something is bad. You want to say, ah! you now say it is well. It is, you, don't, you don't mean it and you're a liar. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's not be that said it. Right? You can't be saying that. Oh, we thank, how are you? We thank God though. You, know, you don't thank God. You're not okay. Say you're not okay. You better say I'm not okay. God, I don't like you. I say we thank God though. And you're brewing ingratitude, desperation, annoyance in your heart. Resentment against God. Be thankful. The Lord has given you a house. Clean it. Wash the toilet. <laughs> I know I'm sounding like I know I'm sounding like somebody's father, but <laughs> this is something that ironically when I, when I was really thinking of the topic, I just it was on Monday and I was just in my house and I just remembered when I and some brethren were looking for houses and we toiled and traveled throughout this great land of pestilence and we found nada, nothing. And then all of a sudden, I just get an opportunity and then I, I get a house and it's close to my workplace and then I'm rushed to work. I forget to make my bed. And then one day, I just stopped in the car and then it just dawned on me. When you didn't have house? And we're sleeping on the floor. <laughs> yeah, you were begging God for house. Now, they give you a house. You will not clean it. The Lord gave you a wife. Treat her well. The Lord gave you a husband. Treat him well. Providence is not for you to console yourself. That's not the doctrine. It's not, for, it's not consolation doctrine. You know, we use it when I was in secondary school. My best hymn till now has always been, It is well. It is well with my soul. And I used to, because I was chapel prefect, I was the one I used to pick hymns for my school. And when I pick hymns, <laughs> I'll pick, we'll sing, although me to my own was too much, in like two months, we'll sing, It is well like six times. <laughs> if you want to do grace, It is well. So one day my teacher just called me and said, Guy, don't you know, are you, do you want to kiss somebody? Do you want to know that this hymn is for burial? That is talking to me. <laughs> it stuck with me so much because we've relegated the doctrine of providence for oh eh, 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 I was they were toasting me it's not work out Lord your will be done that's not what providence is for I'm looking for job I did not get job Lord your will be done that's not what providence is for providence is that because God is in control First of all, you thank him for the things you have. That's why the apostle will say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, that godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. He now says, for we brought nothing out of this world and we can take nothing out. But we, if we have what? Food, clothing, at least we'll be content. You have food. You thank God for what you have. Am I saying we should not mourn? Of course not. I'm saying that when we mourn, we should not mourn and use providence as a rocking chair, while neglecting the things that the Lord has given us. And that's why discontent comes. And that's why we do a lot of nonsense in this place. Lord gives you a job. You are looking for a job. You are looking for a job. Since you not, they not give you a job, you will not go early. Your boss will be complaining. You too, you will go to the office and be talking about your boss. Murmuring. <laughs> then you read your Bible. You will not be reading Genesis to... It's first Samuel. And you'll be saying, these Israel, Israelite people, they don't get sense, yeah? How can God give you manna for free? And you'll be angry. But you don't know that you are, you are, you are despising your own manna. That which the Lord has given you. Steward it. Cherish it. Be thankful. That's what providence before. Be thankful. Oh, I went to a lot in my past. You know, there was something I read. We all read. I'm sure most of us read it. Somebody, a theologian, said, he said he was diagnosed with cancer. And instead of it to say that 
The Lord worked it out for my good. He said, God gave me <laughs> cancer. And of course, logically speaking, you can, you can make that conclusion. But the Bible doesn't say that. Right? The Bible never says, the Lord gave him sickness. Of course, we know that there are times where, and all that, and all that, but not to detract the point. And what came to my mind when I was preparing for this was that that guy, ironically, he got something right, but of course the articulation was wrong. Thing was, in his cancer, he found something to be thankful about. He just didn't articulate it properly. <laughs> just have my point. Since <laughs> God gave me cancer. No, you can't say that. But there are miracles and there are things around you that you hardly ever notice every day. Things that make you angry. And at the end of the day, they just turn around for good. And then you now sit there and be angry and be saying, it is way. It's not way. It's not well. Be thankful. Let's go to Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 verse 8. Somebody's probably thinking that how can thankfulness be in Hosea? You will see. See what the Lord says in Hosea chapter 11 verse 8. Are we there? Okay, it's true. Why you know? Now he's in physical, uh, <laughs> online Bible that saved you. For those that are using physical Bible, Hosea is after Genesis. I'm lying. Is he lying? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Verse 8. He says, how can I give... Sorry. Maybe, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, me. <laughs> Sorry. Hosea chapter... <laughs> chapter 1 verse 8. Sorry. 2 verse 8 rather. 2 verse 8. 2 verse 8. So what happened was I was reading a... Um, uh, Puritan works, and the guy quoted this text, and I never saw the text like that. And so, how they quote their Bibles is they write, maybe they are quoting Romans two verse four. They write Romans two in um, Roman numerals, right? And so, when I wrote it here, it now looked like eleven. Hosea <laughs> chapter two verse eight. It says, "She had wind no mercy." When okay, I mean sorry, I'm the one. Yes. Verse 2, I says, and she did not know that it was her, it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bar. Let me go back. Let me go back. So that you understand what I'm so that you understand. Here, Lord is is professor, is sorry, is speaking words to Hesaya. And he tells Hosea to tell these people these things. He says, you, have, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Right? And he says, please, your mother, plead, for she's not my wife. And all that. And then in verse 10, again, I'll read that verse 8. Rather, and he says, out of all the things that the Lord has given, I gave her mercy and all that. And those things cascaded. And he says, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. And who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for but sometimes the reason why we're, we, don't, we don't have thankfulness in our hearts and gratitude on our lips is because we don't rec recognize that the blessings we receive, everything we have is from the Lord. So you're suffering. You're going through a lot. But you have food. Okay, you don't have food. You're alive. You are alive. 
you have friends, you have a church, right? The fact that you listen to me here um, at this point is evidence that, right, God has been good to you. At some way or the other, I don't know how you want to see. Just think about something. You find something to thank God for. And I'm not talking about looking at, of course, we can look at salvation as God's ultimate pain, sorry, God's ultimate work in our lives and stuff that we draw hope from, right? Which is what Pisan taught us that the hope of the believer is in salvation primarily. So the believer who is saved always has something to be thankful for. But even materially, materially, you have things to be thankful for. You don't have fuel, you have car. Good. You don't have car. You have transport. Okay, you don't have transport. You have leg. Okay. You are paraplegic. You have wheelchair. You move. You'll be amazed at the things that people are thankful for in places that they don't have anything as much as you do. I read of a, of a people, I, I read of people who in war-torn countries, they had to be tearing parchments of Bibles to breathe and they, are, they cherish it. If you steal those parchments for them, they can beat you. But you have full Bibles, some of you have like four. And Lord has given you that word and it's and gathering dust. Satan will make a mess of you. Lord has given you prayer as a means to communicate with him. And then you, you, you neglect it. You leave it there. You just say, eh, you know, eh. Hebrews 5 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may what? Obtain mercy. And then, no, I don't say obtain mercy. I've obtained mercy. That was kind of, you're not grateful for what the Lord has given you. Right? And I'll just read this psalm. And um, I think I'll just close the sermon from here so that we can have time for question and answer. Psalm 116. Psalm 116 verse 12 to 17 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. First of all, I want to say that. Psalm is the best book in the Bible. I don't know what you have to say. It has answers on everything. <laughs> from salvation to judgment. Verse 12, he says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Um, you have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Be thankful. The Lord works all things according to the counsel of his will. Yes, and for that, we can be thankful because all things work together for what? For our good. And I'm not just even talking about thankful for being thankful for things to come or being thankful for things they're about to see, but being thankful for where you are now. Be content. Be content. Be content. Stop struggling with... you. See... You will never, you will never have something that will take away that feeling of wanting more. I promise you. Last year, my biggest problem in Lagos was that I was paying too much for both. The Lord gave me a car. Thank you, Jesus. Fine. I got a car. Now, my new problem is that I'm living in an estate where if you pour water on the road, the whole road is flooded. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I should have gotten an SUV. And then I'm just remembering, it's not because you have a car that you're taking that bad case in SUV. 2021, I was living with a dear brother. And I was stuck for the first time in my life. I had to roll up my trouser like this to the level to walk through flood. <laughs> and now you have a car. 
The floor is touching the car is not touching you. But you, you want SUV, you want this, you want that. You will never be satisfied if you don't grow or you don't grow the spirit of thankfulness. The first thing is that I assume that you already know that you will never be satisfied if you don't value your salvation. That's what I assume, I'm assuming. That's that's a given. That's the most important thing to the believer. I'm trying to state it again so that you guys don't think that thankfulness for material things is supposed to supersede thankfulness for salvation. That's what I'm talking about. I believe that we've emphasized a lot of that in this church, right? I'm also talking now, I'm talking about your personal things, your clothing, your feeding, your shoes, your house, your family. You have, a, you have parents that have steward, steward, um, stewarded you in God's word, taught you scriptures, led you up to where you are. Be thankful. Okay, your parents are not, are, not, are not Christians, but they treated you well. Be thankful. Okay, they didn't treat me well. They blew my eye. I'm like this. I have trauma. I have this and that and that. They gave it to you. I'll be, be thankful. All this nonsense 21st century ideals, nihilism, um, I don't believe it. I want to have children because life is too hard. That is an atheist. And that's a fool, according to Psalms. Don't me talk Because if you don't see anything to thank God for, you don't believe in God. That's just it. You, don't have, you have one thing to thank God for. You don't believe God gave you anything. You don't even believe God is good. Because if you believe God is good, there are sometimes that even bad things, you will thank Him for those things that happen. Talk more of the good things that you have. The objectively, you can look at this thing and say, God, thank you for this thing. I, agree. I give you praise. Treat your things well. Steward your gifts that the Lord has given you. Steward things that the Lord has committed onto your hands. Your church, your family, your, your job, your possessions, your friends. I'm on this table. In fact, many of the tables I've sat at today, I'm on them, sitting very well. Eh? You have friends, you won't call them. They will call you, you not pick. They will text you, take two weeks, and I'm busy. But the Lord has given you good friends, people that love and cherish you, people that care about you. They will tell you, let's go to church. You'll be like, I bet you. Be thankful. Treat them well. Treat them well. Some of us, we came from churches that were war zones. It means more for them to throw bomb and we die. Now you have a good church. You have an elder who cares about you. Who you call. Sometimes if you even disrespect him and he'll be smiling with you, you'll not treat him well. Because scarcity creates value and see finish creates disrespect. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be, gra- be, be grateful to God. Be grateful to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.